not going to be teaching this text today, but I want to point us back to this text as we think about the fact that God actually wants to use you and I to make much of Jesus. And if we come into this place and we don't have a relationship with the Lord yet, we're very excited that you're here. We're very excited that you would have the opportunity to engage with God's word and see what it's like for those of us who know him to give of our offerings and to sing and, and bring praises to our God. And so before we jump into a time of worship, I just want to pray for us. I know it's the beginning of the year. I know that we have resolutions that some of us are killing it at and some of us have already failed at, myself included. And so uh, I want us to be in a place that are really prepared for what the Lord wants to give us today. So would you close your eyes? Would you bow your heads and just be quiet for a moment? As I think quiet is a discipline that's really lost on many of us. Father, for me, I know that it is when everything else is put on pause and my phone's off and the distractions aren't coming at me as fast that, Lord, you speak loudest. And so, Lord, I ask that you would speak to us today through your word, through the lyrics of the songs, through the time of participation and connection with one another. May today not be a day where we just come and do church. Lord, I was blessed by a a seasoned woman after first service, who came up to me and said, I've been in church my entire life, and it hasn't been since the past few months that I started to realize that I need to not just come, but I need to engage with God's people. And Lord, thank you for that reminder that you're doing work in every generation of this church. So Lord, would you use today to be a day that makes much of you? May your your name be lifted high. May Jesus' name be made holy in this place. We thank you for what you're going to accomplish this morning. In your beautiful name, amen. Jesus, we just want to acknowledge that you are king. You're not only savior, but you are Lord, and that means you are king, you are master, And we just want to take time and not only just sing about you, but we want to sing straight to your heart, Jesus. So would you meet with us this morning in all of our weakness and our frailty? Because we just want more of you. Because you are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. Let's sing this again. You are the only king forever. Almighty God, we lift you higher. You are the only king forever, forevermore. You are victorious. Jesus, you are the only 
seat yeah I'm in a good mood is anyone else in a good mood Ooh, that was overwhelming okay the um, we we here at Church of the Valley we don't just sit and listen we, we do a little bit of participation so we're gonna give you a chance to bump elbows with someone that you did not come with and what we're gonna do is we're gonna get into groups of or not groups excuse me pairs of two and uh, we're gonna answer these three questions which are what is something that was good news that you couldn't wait to tell someone? For me, it was when I found out Taylor Swift was coming to SAP Center. <laughs> so, yeah, I was fired up. Why was it such good news? <laughs> Obvious. And who, who did you tell? Okay, don't dilly-dally. Get into groups or pairs of two. Someone you didn't come with, Go.
Okay, finish up. You guys can go out to lunch after, just saying. Hey, should I call out names of people I would like to sit right here? Like Moises and Janet? That'd be awesome. This proves that Santa Clara U is having a retreat right now because they're not here. <laughs> oh. Good morning, everybody. It's really good to be with you guys. If you have a Bible or you want to use one of ours, I'd encourage you to start in Colossians chapter 4. It's in the New Testament. It's before Revelation. That's all I'm giving you. All right, Colossians chapter 4. And as you turn there, I really want to give a disclaimer and, and one of the reasons I'm giving the disclaimer is I don't believe for a second that God would live the perfect life we couldn't, die on a cross, rise from the dead, so we would come and sit idly by in a worship service once a week. I believe God actually wants to do something with us. And so, so as we're going to jump into this text, I, I need you, and I've talked about this before, you've heard me say it, if this is your first time, maybe this is the first time you've heard it from me, but if you're a student of the word, you see this, there is this epidemic in the church, and it's called hardness of heart. And hardness of heart happens when we hear the truth of God preached or taught or read through the word of God, if, when we hear the truth of God and we decide to ignore or disobey it. And the reason that I even bring up that disclaimer, the reason that I even say that is today's message has a lot of truth. Spoiler alert. And from a lot of this truth, the application, I believe, I don't know what your particular application is going to be, but from the text that we're preaching, the texts are going to point us towards action. And so I'm telling you about hardness of heart and the fact that if we ignore it, our heart becomes more desensitized, it becomes harder to the truth of God, and we want less to do with what the Lord has to say. Or we can obey what God says and how he convicts us through his spirit, and we can actually grow more into the likeness of Jesus. And I feel like the upside is so much better than the downside when it comes to hearing the word of God. And so that's my disclaimer for today. Come prepared to hear, come prepared to apply to your life. There's a story that's told by a pastor who was in the Pacific Northwest, and he tells a story of when he was a young man, his father was a foreman for a construction company where the, he would go with his, uh, he would see his dad build different buildings and build different homes and things like that. And one day, his dad comes to him as he's about eight, and he says, son, I'd like you to go with me to work today. And his son was so excited and so pumped up. And he was an eight-year-old, and he didn't really have real tools, but did anyone have the old plastic tools when you were a little kid? Those things were awesome. And so he got his tool belt, and he had his plastic hard hat, and he was ready to come prepared to go to work with Dad. So he goes to work, and his, he sees his dad kind of telling people what to do because foremans do that well, and he's telling them, hey, you're building this, you're building that. But he got to see his father start to do some work on this project, on this building. And he looks over at his eight-year-old son, and he says, son, here's a piece of wood, here's a nail, and here's a hammer, and these were not plastic, mind you, and all the moms are cringing right now. And he says, son, I would like you to nail this nail into this piece of wood with this hammer. And the son takes the hammer and does it very well and never hit his fingers, praise the Lord, hallelujah. And he nails that nail into that piece of wood, and he brings it to his father, and his father is so thankful that his son did what he said. And he takes it, and he says, son, great job, so proud of you, thank you. 
Years later, this young man, this little boy who eventually became a pastor, he realized he hadn't really thought about that story in a very long time, and he probably had processed it just through logic at some point, but he never really realized, at least out loud, that that nail that he nailed into the piece of wood never actually went onto the building that his father was building. It just was something that his father asked him to do so he could participate in his dad's work. And when we come to what we're studying this week, as we spend time going through last week, this week, and then for the next many weeks, as we talk about what it means to be prepared with an answer, here's what I want you to know. Your spiritual father, your heavenly father, wants you to go to work with him. And the results are not up to you. And sometimes it's like nailing a nail into a piece of wood that never goes into the building that he's building, but he wants his children to be obedient to what he's asked us to do. And so I say all of that because really, as we jump into what we're going to discuss today, we're going to study two passages written by the Apostle Paul. As we study these things, we need to make sure we understand the why behind the what of evangelism and proclamation and having an answer when asked. Because the why will dictate if what we do is out of obligation or worship. Isn't that our life? Don't we do things either out of obligation or out of worship? And it's not always worship for the Lord, but do we do it out of obligation or worship? And there is an obligation in which we, when we do things out of obligation, it becomes this duty, if you will. As opposed to the freedom that there is, the worship that there is by doing what the Lord has said because you're found in him through grace-driven effort, we can do the things the Lord has asked us to do. So today, as we unpack these two passages in these Pauline, written by Paul, epistles, these letters of doctrine, if you will, to the church, these were written by the Apostle Paul, who was known as Saul prior to coming to know Jesus, not Saul, King Saul, not that Saul, but Saul the, the Pharisee, who was against Christianity. And then he meets Jesus alive after he dies, and this dramatic change happens. You know why? Because it's impossible to experience the real Jesus and not be changed. And if you've grown up in the church, or if you haven't, so that's all of us, I need to confess to you that meeting Jesus creates a dramatic change in one's life. In fact, yesterday I got to hear many people's testimonies of their stories of how they came to know Jesus, and there was this common theme, if they grew up in the church or didn't, the common theme was when they met Jesus, things changed, and their life was transformed. Not perfectly, but we started to pursue the perfect one. So I say all of this to say, and this is something Jesus says often, because some of us aren't going to hear the sermon today. We're going to think it's about something that it's not. And so I'm going to just quote my Savior who says, he who has ears, let him hear. So turn with me to Colossians chapter 4. We're going to actually start in, ver in verse 2. And Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's in prison. He writes other letters in the New Testament, like Philemon or some people call it Philemon, but that's more Jamaican, but Philemon. And he writes these letters to these churches while he's imprisoned in Rome. Now, when we think in prison, we think maybe San Quentin. He was actually in his house. Oh, house arrest, not so bad. Yeah, but he was chained to a guard. Awkward when you have to go to the restroom. And Paul was chained to this guard, and at least for Paul, I've got to assume he loved this because captive audience, right? Right? 
And this was written around 60 AD. And Colossians in particular, this letter to the church in Colossae, was written basically going against the competing faith, if you will, of this time, which was essentially a faith that said, it was called Gnosticism, it was a faith that said that Jesus was a good teacher, but he's not God. I'm so glad that in in reality today, in our culture today, we don't think the same thing anymore, right? Like, no one just thinks Jesus was a good teacher. That was sarcasm. That's okay. You don't need to laugh. Sarcasm is a spiritual gift. All right, Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. As Paul writes to the church, he says this, and many of us have heard this specific verse before, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. So we're going to pick this apart. Devote yourselves to prayer, to communing, to talking with, to being engaged with the God of the universe. And that's the point. Prayer is not something that you just do where you go, all right, Lord, I'm going to rub my Bible and hope to get an answer to some question like a magic eight ball or a a genie in a bottle. But prayer is the, communing with God, being with God is the point. And yet many of us treat prayer as a duty, don't we? Prayer is not just a benefit to our Christian life, it is actually the lifeline to our God. And it is by being in conversation with the creator and sustainer of all things that we start to grow and conform more to God's will. The disciples, if you're familiar with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the the four different gospels that were written, Jesus is walking, these, these people are writing down what Jesus has said, what Jesus has done, and those first four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, are written about things that Jesus said, things that Jesus did. And after the disciples had been with Jesus for a while, they had seen Jesus heal people. They had seen Jesus preach on hilltops. They had seen Jesus feed 5,000 people through a little Jewish happy meal. They had seen miracles be performed. And they watched Jesus consistently commune. Jesus, God the Son, commune with God the Father. And yet the disciples still asked Jesus, would you teach us how to pray? So if the disciples who walked with Jesus needed to be taught how to pray, how much more do you and I need to be taught how to pray and what prayer is for and what the point is? And then Jesus shared with the disciples, after they had asked that, it was probably Peter because he was the one constantly talking, Jesus then shared with them what many of us in the church or commentators or editors of the Bible would call the Lord's Prayer, and which because you and I, if we're honest, because we, our human nature, we're, we actually have lives full of idols, if you knew that or not. Some of our idols are in our pocket right now. Some of our idols are our children or our spouse or some relationship or how many likes we get on social media. And we have different idols, but because people are idolatrous, we can miss the spirit of what Jesus said when he taught the Lord's Prayer. People will start to look at the words that he said, and they'll miss the intimacy with God and replace it with reciting some canned verbiage. We have and will continue to talk about being prepared with an answer throughout this entire series, and being prepared with an answer to give a retort, to respond to someone. It's also known as a defense, to defend our faith. It means to give an answer, to give a defense. But if giving a defense or giving an answer is our defense, then prayer is one of our strongest offenses. Because we get to talk to our Lord. 
Have you ever thought about that for a second? The fact that you're breathing right now is because God willed it. And yet, you can talk with him. You can speak to him. You can beg him to do things. And he doesn't always do everything that you ask him to, but the more we talk with him, the more we get conformed to his will through the Spirit's conviction and the word of God. Have you ever been in an incredibly difficult situation? Have you ever been accused of doing something you didn't actually do? Have you ever been persecuted? Prayer to our big God, who we are in relationship with, will always have more eternal value than just reacting in our flesh. And we get to speak with this God. And we are bringing the king of kings into the discussion when we pray. And it is his will which will always beat our preference. His will will always beat our preference. The way I used to say it was, his will will trump our preference. But everyone loses our minds when we say that. So his will will beat our preference always. So first... If we're going to be devoted to prayer, we better make sure who we're praying to, because too many of us, as we talked last week, have this vision of God of a hallmark God, or as John Piper would say, God. And it is a God the way we want him to be. The Word of God says God created man and woman in his image, and we've been repaying him the favor ever since and trying to make him look the way we want him to look. And so when we pray, we need to make sure who we're praying to, but we also need to understand that when we pray, we are being conformed to his will, and I am positive, church, that our gracious and holy and perfect Father God wants to adopt, rescue, and redeem many of the people around us. I'm sure of it. You know why? Because the Word of God proves that consistently. So when we pray, we are praying that God would reach those around us with the gospel, And so let me just ask you, you don't need to answer this, we're not going to ask you to tell someone this isn't confession time, but do you pray for people around you? Not that just their frailty or their sickness would go away, but do you pray that their soul would be redeemed by Jesus Christ? There's this passage in Matthew chapter 9, and, and, and Jesus is doing some things, and I, I want us to see this passage because this shows God's heart with his plan A to reach people. It says in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, it said, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Uh Uh-huh. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Let me say that again. Ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Because Jesus had compassion on so many that were lost, and he said they were sheep without a shepherd. So pray and ask that the Lord of the harvest would send out workers. I love this verse, but you know what I love even more? What Jesus is about to do. Because the editors, when we edited the Bible, we put in the chapters and the verses. Paul wasn't like, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he didn't say it that way. We say it that way. Because these were letters written. But the very next verse, which we tend to make separate, which I don't think we should, 
the very next verse, right after he says, pray that the Lord would send out workers. Here's what he does. Verse 1 of Matthew 10, Jesus called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. You see what he did there? (laughs) Hey, you guys pray that the Lord would send out workers. Oh, and by the way, I'm sending you out. Jesus is a Jedi. That is so good. Because he shows them that if you have the heart to pray, guess what? You have the heart to go. So do you pray? And are you willing to go? Pray that the Lord would send out workers, and guess who he sends? Those who would be willing to pray. So my question again is, do you care about the souls of people around you? One of the main reasons we don't share our faith, if we're honest, church, And this, you know, you can have your own perspective about this, but I'm just going to be real about this. One of the main reasons we don't share is because we're embarrassed. We're afraid that if we share with someone about our Lord that we can't even see technically, that it's going to create some break in relationship. Let me say this, and I hope you hear it. Embarrassment in relationship lasts for a short time, but eternity is forever. You hear me? And so, so now, okay, with that, we need to understand that often when you're going to tell someone, hey, like, I, I see these things in your life, and I'd really love to point you towards Jesus, a lot of people go, but I know Jesus. Do you? What's the gospel? How does the gospel affect your life? What does the gospel do in you that has changed you? Because it's impossible to come to Jesus and not change. So embarrassment and relationship last for a short time, but eternity is forever, and my heart breaks because I've preached all over this country especially and in Canada and in Mexico, so I kind of don't really have to ever get on a boat. So, But I've preached in these places, and as I've preached across this country, one of the things that breaks my heart is there's so many people riding pews to hell. Or chairs, because few churches have pews anymore. And there are people that are coming to do what they think they ought to do every single week, and they think they're good because of some external activity. Have you ever justified yourself through some external activity? See, the Christian life is not about what you do, church. It's about what Christ has already done for you, and we rest under that, and we're sure of that. But for too many people, even in the church, we've been a fan We've been a casual observer of his teachings, and we've missed the point of who he is. And I don't say that to scare you, unless you don't really want him, and then I hope it scares you. In fact, I hope it scares the hell out of you, pun intended. If sharing him scares you, you're not alone. You know that? Like, I'm a professional. I'm known for sharing my faith. But it scares me every time I'm at Pete's and the, and the Jehovah's Witness walks in that I've had connections with. I know he may come. I'm not afraid of his questions. I'm afraid that his heart will never turn. But I know that that's not up to me. That's up to my God. And so when you go to share your faith, if you've ever done it, you're going to resonate with what I'm about to say. When you go to share your faith, your heart starts to beat faster, doesn't it? If you have an Apple Watch, it's freaking out, right? Your heart starts to beat faster, your face becomes flush, and you want to know why? 
because you understand, because of the Holy Spirit, the severity of people's souls, the severity of the need that people have for the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's why you get excited about it. So you're not alone. But those who refuse to share him in this life for fear, I would contend lack relationship with Jesus of the Bible. You know why? Because when you've met him, you've been changed, and you realize that your perspective is not just about this life anymore. Here's a quote. I've said it before. Don't really love it, but it's honest. Charles Spurgeon, the prince of all preachers, you are either a missionary or an imposter. Yeah, we obviously don't want people here next week. (laughs) Spurgeon says this over 100 years ago, but I want you to exegete what he said. I want you to understand what he said. Interpret it. He said, you are either a missionary. That doesn't mean you jump on a plane and fly across the world and you go talk to people who don't speak your language and you start to do things the way that they do it necessarily. You're not a missionary if you're building a hospital necessarily. What he means is that you care wherever you are to serve Jesus. And wherever you are, there you are to make much of Christ. And so, you can be a missionary in Pete's Coffee. You can be a missionary in the church property. You can be a missionary at work and at school. You can be a missionary in your own home. You can be a missionary to your kids. So, you're either a missionary or you're an imposter. And can I just, this is, I'm going to walk away from this, but here's the thing. So many of us really like to go do mission trips overseas, and I'm not against them, but I'm against people going overseas to share their faith if they never open their mouths here. You can send me an email, and I will not read it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Be watchful. Now, here's the thing. What are we watching for? Are we watching for the opportunities around us? Man, I really wish we would. Because we're always praying for more opportunities when God's like, I've given you hundreds right around you. But he says, be watchful. What's he talking about when he says, be watchful? Here's what he's talking about, I believe, based on the words that he used. Be watchful against false teaching. Let me me let that sit for a second. Because what you listen to and what you watch and what you essentially ingest will start to create what, how you spend your life and what you do and what you focus on, what you're passionate about. And nothing, hear me, church, is more detrimental to your spiritual life than false teaching. Nothing. Nothing is worse. Now, I, I, I am committed to preach the Word of God. I'll preach the hard text that we don't want to talk about in the church. And when it comes up, we're going to talk about it. And I'm not going to get away from this as your pastor. And the church may not grow numerically, but I praise God that people will grow spiritually because of truth. And so nothing is more detrimental to our spiritual life than false teaching, and that's why Jesus, that's why all of the apostles in the books of Acts, the book of Acts, and Paul addressing, and John addressing, and Peter addressing the churches talk so much about making sure the gospel was what was heard and not false gospels, not false teaching. We must, and I'm going to use some, we must pay attention to our spiritual diet, if you will. Because if all we do is put junk in our minds, 
if all we do is start to listen to things that are not truth, we're, about, we're gonna get off track. And many of us don't know how detrimental that can be. So be prayerful, be devoted to prayer, be watchful against false teaching, and then be thankful. Okay, for what? For everything. For everything, church. For the good and for the bad. What, what? For the good and for the bad. What, what should we be thankful for? Everything. So let me, let me, let's do this real fast. Um, how many of you had some, something happen this week that was awesome? Raise your hand. Come on. Okay, awesome. Decent amount of us. Sweet. We're more optimistic. How many of us had something really hard this week? Raise your hand. Yeah, many of us are doing this, right? And yet we're supposed to be thankful for both. Because it's through those trials that we grow. And it's through giving praise to God for the good that reminds us that he's in control in the good and the bad. Do you realize what is happening here at Church of the Valley? Jesus is getting made much of every single week. Disciples are being made in the name of Jesus. People who were dead are becoming alive if they know it or not. People who were stagnant are now growing into the likeness of Jesus by applying the word of God. Children are being invested in. We're not talking child care, church. Let Ikea do child care. We do fellowship and discipleship with our children. And we invest in them. We invest in them by making sure the word of God is taught by people who love Jesus and love them. College ministry is happening at Santa Clara University and San Jose State and Mission College and West Valley and even De Anza, hallelujah, right? <laughs> and this ministry is happening through people that call Church of the Valley their home. Young families are being equipped to love Jesus and to give Jesus to others. People of different generations have the opportunity to come together, not just on Sundays, but throughout the week, to be a community of people who are a part of something so much bigger than themselves. We have a lot to be thankful for, church. Verse 3, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Paul asked for prayer. Okay, so there's some people in the New Testament in particular, pretty bold. There's Jesus, duh. John the Baptist, or the baptizer, if you don't like the term Baptist. And then there's, there's Paul as well, and the rest of the apostles. And Paul was a superhero, yo. Because you couldn't do anything to Paul. If life was getting really hard, and they were like, hey, we're going to kill you, he's like, to die is gain. Fine, we'll let you live. Fantastic, I'll live my life for the Lord. We're going to imprison you and put you in front of, we're going to chain you to a guard. Great, I'll convert your guard. There was nothing you could do to Paul. You know why? Because his perspective was eternal. And yet Paul was asking for prayer. One of the most bold humans to ever exist was asking for prayer. That God may open a door. Not a door that we kick open ourselves through impatience, because that's what we do, don't we? Oh, that person coughed. He might need to be saved, right? And people are extremists when it comes to evangelism. And I'm going to step on some of your toes, okay? So get ready. People are, are extremists when it comes to sharing their faith, faith because either we don't do it all, do it at all, which is extreme, 
because we don't want to feel guilty because we haven't done it in the past, or if we're honest, because we genuinely don't care about people's souls, excuse me, or we think that we have to do it, and we think that the results are up to us. So we better just tell as many people as possible, and no matter how we do it, it doesn't matter because our job is to just sow seed everywhere, which honestly isn't biblical either because the text even says Jesus walked past people. He didn't go and heal everyone. He didn't go tell everyone, but we think for some reason we're supposed to, and if you do think you're supposed to, you're terrible at that. And so we're extremists. We go over here, we go over here. We don't do it all, or all we do is that. And we forget that God actually is cultivating people in our lives. He's, he's got a time and a place that people would reach out to the Lord. And our job is not to be perfect. Our job is to be prepared with an answer. So are you prepared, church? You want to know who your responsibility is, Christian, to share with others the good news of Jesus Christ? Those around you who ask. Those you have access to. To those who are in your sphere of influence. The Greek word is oikos. That's not yogurt. That, is, that means extended household, the people you come in contact with consistently throughout your week. So who do you come in contact with often? I come in contact with Daniel every single day. He's my barista at Pete's. Every single day I come in contact, and every single day I'm trying to build more of a rapport with him and more of a relationship. And when he asks me about what I'm doing, I tell him I'm going to go teach the Bible to a bunch of people in the city of Santa Clara, and he says, break a leg. And I say, Okay. So who do you come in contact with? And when it comes to being devoted to prayer, and when it comes to what we're praying for, are we praying for an open door? Are we praying for an obvious open door to share the message? Are we praying that people around us would be inquisitive? Ooh, that would change our city. Are we praying that people around us would be inquisitive, that they'd ask questions, and that we'd be ready with an answer? But see, in order to be ready, in order to be prepared, you must wrestle with your faith and why you believe what you do and how you would actually communicate that to somebody else. We must be willing and able to proclaim the mystery of Christ. Did you know our faith is weird? Anybody? Those of you who don't, aren't Christians yet, you're like, yeah, hella weird. <laughs> our faith is strange. In fact, Paul says it is foolishness to those who are perishing. It doesn't make sense to a world that hasn't met or is unwilling to look into the claims of Christ. But you and I, as image bearers of Jesus, have a responsibility to make him known through our words and our actions to proclaim the truth of the gospel clearly and with confidence. Look at this, verse 4. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. As, why, why clearly? Why? Why not just say it and as much as you can, and go up onto a rooftop and just start telling people, Jesus is Lord. Why not? Because that's weird, for one. But because clarity is something that Paul believes that he should do. He should say it clearly. And, and here's maybe why we need to be able to share it clearly, church. Because if we can't share the gospel clearly, maybe we don't understand it clearly. You ever think about that? I know that some of us don't want to hear that. I know that some of us, oh, no, 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 I've been in the church my whole life. You're justifying yourself based on your attendance. That's not going to work. Can you describe the gospel in a way that makes sense? Well, I believe. That's enough. I'm still looking for that in Scripture. Because it doesn't say that that is enough. 
Because I see followers of Jesus and the word of God who don't just believe, but they behaved like they were willing to go to their own crosses for the cause of Christ. Verse 5, be wise in the way that you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. I feel like that verse preaches itself. You know what I mean? Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders, make the most of every opportunity. And evangelism is proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And discipleship is proclaiming the good news of Jesus consistently with someone and helping them grow through the word of God. But for some reason, we treat evangelism and discipleship as two different entities when they're the same thing. They're just two different faces on the same coin. Because both of them, when you do them, those who do them grow. You guys ever think about that? When you share your faith you get the opportunity to grow. You know why? Because you did what the Lord asked you to do. And when you invest your life into somebody else, I guarantee you, and we can just have testimonies all day, and I heard a bunch of them yesterday, that when we invest in someone else, we grow. But here's the thing. Far less people disciple people out of obligation than share their faith because it requires a lot more time, doesn't it? A lot more relationship, a lot more being candid and open about where we fail. So why would you or I risk comfort or maybe even our reputation to tell people about a God that we don't even see or invest our life into somebody else that maybe we're not going to totally get along with? I'll go back to last week's message and say it's because we are convinced that Jesus is the Christ and we know that life can be found in his name. And so he's worth it. So he says, make the most of every opportunity. This is something that I'd love for this community of believers to start to understand. To make the most of every opportunity really means that you're intentional. It means you're intentional with your life and the things that you say and the way that you respond to things. And you're intentional with those that are far from God and we're intentional with those who think they know God and we're intentional with those who are brothers and sisters in the faith but that we would be prepared with an answer when asked why we're different because we're rubbing shoulders. Paul uses this term outsiders, and this was a term that was used to describe those who were not in God's family, and I don't want you to miss this. Often in the first century, Christianity, being in God's family and being a part of a church community that gathered were together. It was the same thing, because in order to show yourself as a Christian to come into a place where people would gather in Jesus's name, your family would disown you. So there's no way you were going to church culturally unless you were willing to give up everything for Jesus. And so Paul uses this imagery of outsiders being people that were not inside the church. And for some of us, we still think it's the same way, but it's not. Because being in a church worship service, being at a church makes you as much a Christian as being at Taco Bell makes you a taco, okay? So coming into this place, you have the opportunity to hear the truth, but your justification doesn't come through attendance. It comes through life being changed through understanding the gospel. And the difference was that the early church Christians gathered to worship out of adoration through the fact that they knew God rescued them from their sins. But today we think we're rescued because we attend a church building. How sad. See, I hope that we would gather. No one wants to preach to an empty room. I hope we would get under God's word and we would apply it to our lives. But this cannot be the end all. And in fact, if you don't come prepared 
to hear from the Lord through the word, through interpreting and preaching and explaining the text, if you don't come prepared to learn by obeying what the word of God has to say, you'd be better off staying at home. Let me, let me let that sit there for a second. Because the Bible as it is will be taught every single week at this church, as long as I'm the pastor. And as the Bible is taught, it will either grow you or harden you to the truth. You don't get to stay the same when it comes to reading this. But just because you share your faith also, just because you're someone that's really excited about sharing their faith, doesn't mean that you're included in Christ either, okay? I've met some people that talked a lot about Jesus but didn't know him at all. Because some share out of duty, and, and I don't know everyone in this room, and this may offend some of you, and I'm open to a conversation, so I just feel like disclaimers all day today, but I'm going to tell you what I believe based on the Holy Spirit's conviction of what I know. Some people share out of duty, and there are cults that do it all the time, and I'm going to name a few. Jehovah's Witnesses. They feel that they have to share. Mormons feel that they have to share because they believe that their salvation is predicated on their effectiveness and how often they tell others. And our salvation is not predicated on us, it's predicated on Christ. So I'm all for being effective. I hate inefficient meetings, just know that about me. I hate conversations that don't go anywhere. I hate having discussions that don't actually have an end result. But what I've realized is that many conversations that I've had with people that don't really want to ask any questions, don't really want to talk, don't really want to share ideas, they just want to talk at somebody, what I've realized is those conversations were always equipping me for future conversations with someone else. So even those conversations aren't in vain. Verse 6, let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to, what's that word? Answer. Everyone. I love this text. I love this idea of making sure that your, your talk is, seasoned with, with, uh, is full of grace and seasoned with salt, that we would engage with people. But let me show you something. I, one of my best friends is Stephen. You guys know him. He's playing the cajon. And, and Stephen has been in the church pretty much his whole life. And we met a few years ago, and I taught, compelled the evangelism training at the church he was a part of, and, and we started to hang out and connect, and he started to share with me how, over some time, he's in law enforcement, he started to share with his partner about Jesus. He started to share with her about the, he was answering the questions that she was having. She was asking more about what was going on in the church and what he was dealing with and what he was learning, and he was prepared with an answer for the questions that were asked. Now, here's what we do in the church. We get so excited for the partner. Oh, that partner, that person that wouldn't have heard about it otherwise. Oh, man, they're hearing about it. That's so exciting. Man, that is cool. You're right. Let's not, let's not lower that. But you know who I was excited for? Stephen. You know why? Because he was putting his faith into action. And so, so many of us miss out on the blessing of what it looks like to actually go to work with Daddy. So many of us miss out on the blessing of what it means to actually be someone who's prepared with an answer. And so he says, be full of grace. Grace means to give what someone doesn't deserve, okay? And a lot of people are outside of the faith, and what they don't deserve is to be inside the faith, because that's true of all of us. So sometimes when we're giving grace, doesn't mean we're just compromising, saying, yeah, okay. Sometimes we may have to tell someone, hey, you're off. 
It may embarrass the relationship. It may change some stuff. But sometimes being full of grace means you're going to give them what they don't deserve, which is Christ. But we need to be seasoned with salt. We need to talk in such a way that people actually ask questions. You know why, why McDonald's sells so many sodas? Other than it's just a dollar? Because of how much salt that's on their fries, yo. And it's that salt that makes things thirsty. It makes us thirsty. And so when we talk in such a way that people want to know more about what we're talking about, it makes them thirsty and they ask more questions and we have more opportunity prepared with an answer. So now, real quick, we're going to jump to another text. I'd encourage you to go there. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And again, we've talked about Paul. We've talked about this idea that he was so passionate about sharing the gospel because he had an eternal perspective. But we're going to see what it meant for him. He lived making sure that people could hear about Jesus. He lived for seeing people one to the cause of Christ. So with that in mind, 1 Corinthians, this, this letter to this church, this church is tore up from the floor up, they're messed up, but Paul exemplified what it means to be a missionary, and here's what he said, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, starting in verse 9, though I am free and belong to no one, I've made my, myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Okay, so the commentators wrestle with this, there's two different perspectives, I'm going to give you both of them real quick. First, if reading up to this verse, if you read the verses behind it, he's talking about how he won't receive money from the church in Corinth for him preaching the gospel, even though he has a right to it. And the reason he wouldn't ask for money from the church in Corinth was simply because they would use that as an excuse to not listen to him. So that's one perspective, and I don't think that's wrong. But he also says, though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. And Paul had an eternal perspective that was three things, urgent, realistic, and optimistic. It was urgent, realistic, and optimistic. And he was not identified by any person. There was no one that could literally tell him, you're going to do this. He went freely to these people that needed to hear the gospel. And he gave up time, and he gave up effort, and he gave up his own money so that they would hear about who Jesus is. Verse 20, to the Jews, Paul says, I became like a Jew to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. There's this theme. Then he says, verse 21, to those not having the law, I became like one not having the law, though I am not free from God's law, but am under Christ's law so as to win those not having the law. So let me equip you real quick. This doesn't mean you can just live in liberty. It doesn't mean you can just do whatever you want to do. But here's the thing. You have passions. You have hobbies. You have a history that God's not surprised by. And you can use those things to point people to Jesus. But here's what Paul didn't do. He didn't spend time with people outside of the faith and allowed them to influence him more than he influenced them. And so what it means to be like someone who's not under the law, but he became like them, doesn't mean he went, and, uh, went off and did all these, these irreligious things and started to, to sin. Let, let me give you a simple example. A couple weeks ago, Mike Miller was teaching, and he made fun of the fact that I'm a Steelers fan, and pfft, I hope they win today. So, but here's the thing. I'm not a Niner fan. I'm not against the Niners. I'm against the Cowboys and sometimes the Patriots, okay? Just saying, all right? Uh, when they play the Steelers especially. But I'm not a Niner fan. But usually the Niners play teams that I don't care about. 
So if one of you, and this is kind of a request, I'm just kidding. If one of you are like, hey, I have tickets to the Niners, Pastor, would you like to go with me? I'll totally go if I can. But if they're not playing the Steelers, I don't care what happens. So because you've taken me and because you paid for it and you're going to buy me a beer, um, maybe I, in particular, will root for the Niners with you. That's not sinful, unless you're a Cowboys fan. That's not sinful. And I will root. Why? Because I'm going to be like you, because I want to engage with the context in which you're in. I want to engage with the people, and I want to be able to build that relationship and connect with you. So then he finishes, verse 22, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. So theology test real quick. Who saves people? Jesus. But as followers of Christ, we're co-heirs, and God uses us as the plan A. There's no plan B, yo. It's us. Plan A. So Paul did what he could to meet people right where they were at so they could hear about Jesus. So those hobbies that you have, God can use. Those things that you've done in your life that may not be the greatest things, but you've learned. Like, I'm great at Trivial Pursuit. Google stinks because it makes it so it doesn't even matter that I'm good at Trivial Pursuit. But I can engage in any conversation because I know a lot about stupid pop culture, and you guys know that from my preaching. Verse 23, why did he do all of this? I do all of this for the sake of the gospel that I may share in its blessings. So that I may share in its blessings. And so that you and I can share in the huge blessing of what it means to go to work with dad. So you and I can be involved in what God is actually doing. So you and I can actually see the blessing of growth by growing, by being willing to obey what he has to say. Why do we do it? So we can realize our purpose. Why do we do it? So we can see people adopted into the kingdom of God because too many people are, on the, are focused on the kingdom of us. Worship team, would you come on up? I want to read the story. It's a little long, but I... I, need, I really want to encourage us to listen to the story because I think it does a really phenomenal job of teaching why it's so important that we're prepared with an answer and we engage the community around us. There are few men in my life that I've never met, few people in my life that I've never met that have helped change my life the way that the person who wrote this story did. His name was Howard Hendricks. He went to be with the Lord a few years ago, and he was a professor at Dallas Theological Seminary, and this man for 60 years poured into young men, and I want to have the same legacy. And, and Howard poured into people, and he invested in them, and he taught on what it meant to actually spend time in God's Word and all of that. And he writes this story. The phone rang, and I greeted a young pastor friend from Arlington, Virginia. What are you doing, he asked. Studying, I replied. Nothing really special. Are you sitting down? Yes, why? Your father just trusted Christ this evening. He what? You've got to be kidding me, he blurted out, which seemed like an inappropriate response, but it grew out of long detours in our father-son journey. Ever since I received Christ as a boy, my concern had been for the salvation of my family and my loved ones, and on repeated occasions, I had broached the subject of the gospel with dad. 
but his response was less than excited. My father has always been a very important person to me. Not that I approved of everything he said or did everything that he did or imitated him really in any way, and we just weren't really that close of friends. But he was important to me in my life because of the indirect impact he made upon me. Dad was a military man. He had seen action around the world during the periods when we were in battle. I would become very sensitive to a spiritual need, and I and my family prayed for him, but at times I'm afraid that my faith sputtered. His response was always the same. Son, don't worry about me. I'll work it out with God. (laughs) Has anyone ever? Okay. God brought a man into my life, a man with passion for men. His name was Butch Hardman. And one day, before we even knew each other, Butch was boarding a plane in Detroit when a friend handed him a cassette tape. Okay, so let me explain what that is for some... No, I'm just kidding. As he was giving him the tape, or Howard the tape, he asked, Have you ever heard Hendrix? Here's a tape. You should listen to it. And on that tape, I related my father's spiritual need. Butch, this pastor, eventually became a pastor, listened, and something about the antidote reminded him of his own father with whom he had shared Christ shortly with before his dad had died. He began to pray for this unknown man, George Hendricks, and some months later, Butch attended a pastor's conference in Philadelphia where I, Howard Hendricks, was the speaker. He shook my hand afterward, and that was the only time our paths crossed before a remarkable incident in Arlington, Texas. Butch was driving the church bus down the street, having discharged all his passengers, and he saw a man standing on the corner who reminded him uncannily, uncandidly, or uncannily of me, Howard Hendricks. Could it possibly be? He backs up the bus, he stops, he gets off the bus, he went over to this man, and he said, are you by any chance Howard Hendricks' father? It's easy to imagine the startled response my dad had, which was, uh, yeah, I am, actually. Are you a student of my son? He said, no, actually I'm not, but he sure has helped me. Any chance you've got time for coffee? That encounter began to friendship, skillfully engineered by the Spirit of God. Don't miss that. Butch undoubtedly sensed Dad's hesitancy when he discovered he had met a preacher, and for a long time, Butch never invited him to attend his church. He simply suggested that Dad drop by the office for coffee. Patiently, he endured Dad's cigars and his endless repertoire of war stories, and before long, he also learned that Dad had been diagnosed as having terminal throat cancer. Months later, Butch was at his bedside. Mr. Hendricks, I'm about to leave for the Holy Land, and instead of my listening to you tonight, would you let me tell you a story? Butch had earned his hearing, and he began to simply relate the interview of Jesus Christ with Nicodemus as recorded in John chapter 3. At the conclusion, Dad accepted Butch's invitation to receive Jesus Christ as his own personal Savior. Then Dad got up out of bed, stood, and saluted with a smile, Now I'm under a new commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ. The last time I saw Dad alive, I could not believe he was the same man that I had known. His frame was wasting away, but his spirit was more excited than ever. In accordance with Dad's specific provision in his will, Butch Hardman conducted the crisp military funeral in Arlington Cemetery where the gospel of Jesus Christ was presented to the small group of family and military attendants. As the guns saluted their final farewell, I knew God had vindicated 42 years of prayer. So you don't tell me God can't reach anyone. 
You don't tell me that prayers are in vain. You don't tell me that a life lived intentionally for the glory of Jesus' name doesn't make a difference in eternity. So let's start somewhere that's attainable for us, for those of us that call Church of the Valley our place of worship, for those of us who are included in Christ, for those of us who have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Let's pray that the Lord of the harvest sends workers out into the harvest field. And as we pray, pay attention to see if the Lord's asking you to be the one that goes into the harvest field. Before we take our time of offering, I'm going I'm to allow Aaron to share something. Yeah, uh, I slipped him a little note saying, I think I'm supposed to say something before we go into offering. Um, after the first set of worship, when I walked down, I thought to myself, like, man, everybody's kind of spread out today. Um, normally for second service, uh, we're used to everyone sitting in the front, and that's nothing on you guys, because um, what happened is I started talking to the Lord, and he said, so go to them. So why don't you go down and be with your people? So um, this is off script, and worship team, I'm sorry to throw this on you. This might be weird, but Mike, could you mute us so we could unplug and I just really want to come and be a family. I don't like this distance today for whatever reason. Um, we want to worship amongst you guys. And so um, can you let me know when we're good? Okay. So what we're going to do is they're getting ready to come closer to the floor. And some of you are like, should we move up? Yes, move up. If you're, if you're comfortable doing it, you don't have to. But what we're going to do is we're going to take a time of offering. And in this time of offering, this is not something where it's like, hey, give, give the pastor a tip. Oh, you want to be that? All right, go nuts. Now you're like, how do I get up? There are people in the, that's fine. Go wherever you want. We're going to worship Jesus. But we're going we're gonna to do an offering. It's going to be a little weird, and we're going to have to, like, move around and all of that stuff and whatever. But the time of offering is a time of worship. The time of offering is this place where we get to say, you know what, Lord, you've given me everything. And because you've given me everything, because I trust you enough, I want to give something back, not because you need it, but because I need it. And so if you didn't come prepared to give, if you're not interested in giving, if you're still trying to check out if this is a church you want to be a part of, don't give. It's okay. But if this is an act of worship for you, we would ask you to worship in this way. You can drop money in the offering cash. You can do a check made out to Church of the Valley. But only if this is worship. If you have to give it out of begrudging submission, keep your money. But if you get the opportunity to worship God in this time, I would pray that, that the Lord would use this to bless you. And so, Father, before we start to sing, I ask, Lord, that you would take this time as, as we're going a little bit off script and people are kind of all over the room, Lord, I, I think you can use this. And I think you can use the offering that people give because out of worship they want to serve you. Lord, I believe you can take this offering no matter how much or how little it is to make disciples for the glory of your name. And so, Lord, we ask that you would do that. We ask that you would multiply this to see more people not just believe in you but follow you and grow more into your likeness. May there be more people that are reached like Howard Hendricks' father because people in this room are willing to go across the street or stop a church bus or to engage with somebody that they've known for a long time that they've never brought it up with but are just prepared to do so now. 
Lord, we thank you for what you're going to accomplish. In your beautiful name, amen. Come back.
I imagine a moment which may fill, which may be an eternity, but us in the presence of the Lord. New heaven, new earth. The glory is shown around us of Jesus. And I don't know what worship's going to be like there. Our worship teams are amazing, but I just don't know what a redeemed, resurrected worship time is like. But I think about us being able to see what we can because of Christ. Being able to see other people that we're excited about because we know that for eternity we get to worship our God. And so we're in a room that's got pews. We're in a room that doesn't really create easy talking to one another, connecting with one another. But here's what I'm going to ask you to do as we sing this last song. Would you stand? Wherever you are, if you are able. And, and, and if you know the words, look at the words. Or if you don't know the words, look at the words. But maybe just kind of look at other people's expression of worship. We don't need to show off. This isn't about that. It's about being with the Lord's people and spending time in his presence singing praises to the one who is worthy. Amen.
guys have a quick seat. Worship team, thank you so much. And Aaron, thanks for uh, obeying the spirit in that. So one of the things that we do, and we, John alluded to it when we had people talk with one another, is we don't just want to observe, we want to participate. We want to participate in what the work of the Spirit is doing inside of us and through what the Word of God says and how to obey that. And one of the ways that we start to apply it to our lives is, and I don't know about you, but I'm a, I'm a verbal processor, if you will. You notice that from how I preach. And, and I like to process things out loud. And some of us process a lot slower, and that's absolutely okay. And I praise God for people like that, including my wife. But I, I want to give us the opportunity from hearing the Word of God taught and the singing and the time of offering and talking with one another about the good news that we shared with somebody, I'd love to hear a takeaway. In fact, uh, uh, Chris's aunt a few weeks ago said, I want to talk about a giveaway. And I was like, yeah, amen, that's even better. So what is something that you are taking away, but you're going to give it away? What is something that you've heard today or something the Lord has kind of encouraged your soul And then all of a sudden you're like, man, I got to tell that to somebody else. And so I'd love to hear, raise your hand. We're going to go old school, like school. And so does anyone have a takeaway? I'll call on you and I'll cut you off if you, yeah. Moises. Just a simple phrase. Don't let uh, let worship become an obligation. Mm, Don't let worship become an obligation. Amen. Hallelujah. That's great. That's really good. What else? Yes, sir. Yeah. Yep. Amen. Yeah, the sphere of influence, the oikos, the extended household, not yogurt. Yes, the extended household. That's good. Don. You mean Taco Bell? Oh. <laughs> I've talked about so many restaurants. I'm hungry. Just saying. Sorry. Praise God. Praise God. Yeah. The, the, the way we talk would make people thirsty because it's seasoned with salt. Uh, you're next, Malik. Brian? So it's changing the way that I talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Come on. Amen. Amen. And the things that we do have implications in eternity if we're willing to actually do it because the Spirit's leading us as opposed to obligation. So that's really good, Brian. Thank you. That's really good. All right. One other before I call him Malik. One other before I call him Malik. 
Okay, no one wants, okay, Malik. Oh, wait, 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 John Michael, and then Malik. Yeah. Yeah, someone take him out to lunch. I always like to say that because he's a college kid. Take him out to lunch. Um, John Michael, as he shared, it's like Moises has said that worship shouldn't be an obligation, but John Michael, even sharing our faith shouldn't be an obligation. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do because, as Brian said, the Spirit of God indwells us. And because of that, we may not have the best words, but we have the words the Lord wants to use through us. Malik. Right. Rooted in Christ. Yeah, that's great, man. Malik was talking about, if you couldn't hear him, he was talking about last week and the idea of faith or superstition and how when we start to do things out of duty, when we start to do things because we feel like we have to, we're actually proving that we have a superstition rather than a faith that comes from God. And so I, I hope that as we leave this place and we take John Michael and others out to lunch and we connect with one another and we talk and we, we build relationships with one another, that we talk about the things that we've heard, but we wouldn't just allow it to be talk, that we'd actually start to put these things into practice. I had some amazing conversations with people after first service about how they're like, man, I'm taking this to work. I'm taking this to school. I'm taking it because we, I need to put it into practice because I don't want my heart to harden to the truth of God. And so if you are able, would you stand with me as I pray for us? Uh, we, man, this is an exciting time. It's an exciting time to be a part of what God's doing here, what, I, what I'm seeing him do in the city of Santa Clara and the Bay Area. And I just, I want you guys to stay encouraged. Those letters that Paul wrote to multiple churches were ones of encouragement to remind people that Jesus is still on the throne. And when you least expect it, he's coming back. So be urgent. Be urgent. Father, I pray for these men and women, and I thank you for the opportunity that we had to make much of you today. Thank you for the children that were poured into. I pray that you'd give an extra measure of grace to those that invested in our children today, Lord. Thank you for Mike and Sam, who made sure that the tech stuff was happening, Lord. Thank you for Aaron and the worship team as they led us. God, I pray the Church of the Valley and the people that were, even if we don't call this their, our home, that were in attendance today would be changed through your word and be sanctified through your word to grow more into your likeness. We love you so much in your beautiful name. Amen. God bless you guys. Love you. Have a great week.